Hello, Redwood. It's so good to worship with you together today, even if it is virtually. A special welcome to those of you who might be joining us for the first time. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Melissa. I'm the lead pastor here at Redwood Park Church. And before I get into my message, I want to give us a little bit of a financial update. We've just entered into a new year, and at the end of this last year, the beginning of December, I shared with you where we stood. I started out by talking about the ways that we were so thankful and grateful and excited about what God had done in 2021. God did some pretty amazing things. He brought us new staff members that we're so excited about. Joel, our family pastor, joined us. Sean, our worship pastor, had been hired and is now with us. Many of you joined us for the first time in this past year, and we're so grateful to welcome you into our community. And as we began to meet in person again for a portion of the year, we saw new people stepping into service and new areas of transformation and healing through emotionally healthy spirituality and alpha. Our food bank was running strong, and you blessed us through your generosity in 2021. So at the beginning of December, I shared with you how we are coming up to our year end, but we were $222,000 behind our budget. A lot of this was due to COVID. It was a common scenario for a lot of churches across the country. But I asked you to prayerfully consider giving a year-end donation to help us close that gap even just a little bit. And friends, you came through. This is a generous community, and for the second year in a row, I am so blown away with what God has done through you. So like I said, beginning of December, we were behind by $222,000, and in December, friends, you gave $199,000, a little bit more than that, actually. This is a miracle. This is the highest giving month that Redwood has ever had in the middle of a pandemic when our community is still partially meeting online. I am amazed at our generosity. And friends, we are really well set up for 2022. God has brought us the people. He has brought us the pastoral staff team. He has brought us the resources. I cannot wait to see what he is going to do in this next year. God is so good. And now, I'm going to transition into my message, and I'm actually not sure how I'm going to naturally transition into our message, except to just start. So here goes. Guys, I love bread. How is that for a transition? But it's true. I love bread. I love all carbs, actually, but that's a totally different scenario, and that's not relevant to our message. I love bread. I love French bread. I love fry bread. I love focaccia bread. And my love of bread started when I was a kid. I was very fortunate that my mom used to make homemade bread. We didn't usually have store-bought bread. I didn't always appreciate it. I remember being at school a couple of times and looking down at my thick slabs of homemade bread and wishing that I had the Wonder Bread of the kids sitting next to me. But nevertheless, I fell in love with bread, and I especially loved bread-making day. Now, I say bread-making day because it really was a day-long affair. My mom used the recipe that she got from her mother-in-law, my grandma, and to make the eight or 10 loaves that the recipe called for took all day. My mom would start by mixing up all the ingredients in this big metal bowl. She would knead the bread, and then she would put a tea towel over top and put the bread 
in a warm shaft of sunlight in our living room so it could rise in a warm place. When the bread had doubled in size or the dough had doubled in size, we get to punch down the bread and then my mom would divide it. She put it into loaf pans or shape it into buns and then it would have to rise again before it could be baked. At this point was where the most fun came in. Oftentimes, if us kids were hanging around, my mom would cut off a chunk of the dough and we could shape it into whatever shape we wanted. Sometimes I would make a a braid and sometimes I would make a heart-shaped bun and then she would give us those little candy sprinkles and we could sprinkle on as much as we want, which I did liberally because it turned my bread into something like dessert. (laughs) And sometimes... If my mom and dad were feeling especially generous that day, they would cut off a chunk of the bread and they would fry it up and they would serve it to us with jam or with syrup. We called it fried bread. It was our equivalent of bannock and it was so delicious. And then when all the bread went into the oven and it was baked, it was usually dinner time. And on bread making day, my mom usually made stew or she made some kind of soup. But if I'm being totally honest, the stew or the soup really was the side dish. The star was the bread, the warm, fresh bread slathered with butter. Now, before industrial food production, this would have been a common scene in homes around the world, or at least in cultures where bread is a staple diet food, a staple food. We tend not to appreciate bread now because we could just go into the store and we can buy bread fairly cheaply. And we buy it and it's in these uniform bags and it's in this uniform shape and it's cut into uniform slices. We've lost this appreciation for bread. And in our culture of excess, when we have access to so many different foods and obesity is becoming a problem, bread has become the enemy. And it especially is the enemy for those of us who have developed allergies or intolerances to gluten. So I tell the story about the labor and the love involved in making good fresh bread without preservatives and without a factory, because our story today is about bread. And we can't fully appreciate what it's about unless we really capture the love of bread, the love of making good bread, unless we appreciate it. Whether it's French bread or uh, Italian focaccia or Indian naan or Mexican tortilla, bread has been part of the foundational diets of cultures and, and people groups for thousands of years. And bread was one of the most important food items for the culture when Jesus walked the earth. We're in the middle of a sermon series, Who Does He Think He Is?, where we're looking at who Jesus thinks he is. In particular, we're looking at these statements that Jesus made that are recorded in the book of John that start with, I am. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. That's what we're talking about today, and that's why I opened up talking about bread. So we're going to read a story from John chapter 6. But before we get to our reading, I need to give a little bit of context. Jesus didn't just come into a crowded room and say, hey guys, guess what? I'm the bread of life. He said it in the context of a story, of a real life scenario. So I want to give you that scenario first before we get into our reading. And it's going to take a little bit longer than usual before we get to the reading. 
but it's really important that we hear this part first. So Jesus and his friends had been traveling around and Jesus is doing all sorts of amazing things. He's healing people, he's teaching with authority, and he's gathered a huge following. So one day Jesus and his followers get to the shores of the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake. And the Bible tells us that there were 5,000 men gathered there. That's not counting the women and children. The Bible at that time didn't record the number of women and children that were there, but we can assume there was about 10,000 people or so gathered there that day to hear what Jesus had to say. Now, near the end of the day, it was getting close to dinner time. And so Jesus turned to his disciples, his closest followers, and says, how are we going to feed all of these people? And his disciples answer him saying, I'm not sure, Jesus. It's going to take half a year's wages just to give all of these people a little taste of bread. And then another one of his disciples comes and says, well, here's a kid. He's got five barley loaves, which Barley loaves were the bread of the peasants. And two small fish, probably small salted fish that they would eat on top of the bread. This, these, we have this resource, but it's not going to go far enough to feed all these people. But for Jesus, it's enough. So Jesus tells his disciples, his closest followers, to have everybody sit down. Jesus takes those five small barley loaves and two small fish. He gives thanks and then he begins to distribute them to the people. And he keeps distributing them to the people. And somehow, miraculously, the bread and the fish multiply. We are told that all of those people not only got to eat, but they eat, ate until they had their fill and there were enough leftovers to fill 12 baskets. Imagine you are in the crowd. What are you thinking? I don't know what I'd be thinking. I'd be totally blown away. But Jesus knows what they're thinking. This is what Jesus knows there is on their mind. The people are thinking, here's a guy who has just given us this miraculous bread. Hmm. It makes us think about another story from the Bible, a story that those Jewish people who are there to hear Jesus would have known, a story from a thousand or thousands of years before about a guy named Moses. Now, Moses was a great leader. Moses was the guy who saw the Israelites in Egypt, or God led him to go to the Israelites in Egypt and lead them out of slavery. Moses is the guy who parts the Red Sea and the people go through as the Egyptians are pursuing them. Moses is the guy who, as the people are going through the desert, he is their leader when God provides them bread from heaven, manna to sustain them, miraculous food. So the people see Jesus giving them this miraculous bread, this multiplication of the bread and the fish, and they immediately think the new Moses has come. We must make him our king. And the reason why they think that is because they are also under foreign rule. The Romans have come in and they have oppressed the people and they are ruling over the people and the Jewish people want to be set free. And they want to make Jesus their king by force to topple over the Roman government and for Jesus to take over. So Jesus, knowing all this is on the minds of the people, withdraws. 
he goes to a solitary place to pray because he knows that this isn't God's plan for him. He sends his disciples to get into a boat and to head to their next destination. And then there's this amazing story where Jesus walks on the water in the middle of a storm to meet his disciples, but we're not going to get into that because it's another story altogether. But they get to the other side of the lake, and guess what? The crowds have followed Jesus. They have found him again. And this is where we pick up our reading today. So we're reading from John chapter 6. Verses 25 to 35. When they found him, those are the crowds, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him... God gave, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to, what must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that came, comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pause and let's pray. God, we thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending him the bread of life that satisfies the hunger in our souls. We pray, Lord, that you would illuminate the text for us today. You'd help us to understand it, that we might be satisfied now and in eternity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, after our reading today, Jesus expands on the meaning of what he said, and then the people have a choice. Do they believe him? Do they believe him? This issue of belief is at the center of our passage today. When Jesus says the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And this is the most important question we could ever answer in our lives. Do I believe it? When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, do I believe it? So today we're going to figure out what this is all about. We're going to answer these questions. What is the bread of life? And then that most important question, do I believe it? The question whose answer has eternal consequences. So first, what is the bread of life? Have you ever been hungry? Like really hungry? Not just hungry for dinner because it's dinner time, but lived in a time where 
maybe due to poverty or some other circumstances, you really knew what it was like to be hungry. So Jesus sees the people and these barley loaves that they have. And remember, the barley loaves was the bread of the, pre- bread of the peasants. So these people, is, it's very likely that there are some people in the crowd who know what it is to be truly hungry because of their social class. And especially because under foreign Roman imperial rule, the taxes were so high, they would know what it is to be in need. So Jesus begins by feeding the crowd literal bread. The crowd is hungry. They eat the bread. And this tells us something about Jesus' character. Now, Jesus cares that our physical needs are taken care of. And just like he invited the disciples to participate by having them provide the initial loaves of bread and the fish and by asking them to seat the crowd, Jesus invites us to participate in his mission to take care of the physical needs of the world now. This is part of our calling as Christians. He asks us to participate. But remember, we don't do the miracle. Jesus is the one that feeds the crowds. Now, Jesus feeds them literal bread and light. Bread are the literal bread of life, or the literal bread, but he uses the little literal bread to segue into what he really wants to talk about with the crowds when they are still seeking after him, the bread of heaven. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, it's because it is. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Jesus when he says, I am the living water and I am the Messiah. Jesus started talking about literal water, but he used that to segue into the living water, which is his Holy Spirit. So think about the crowd. Yes, they're hungry for bread and they're hungry for fish, but they're also hungry for something else. They wanted to be set free from the oppression of the Roman government. They hungered for freedom. They hungered for the joy and the peace that would come from it. They hungered for a leader, someone who was going to come and lead them from a place of caring for their well-being. And because they were human, they also had other hungers, deep hungers of their soul that aren't explicitly stated in this text, but would have been there nevertheless. These are hungers that we all share. Some of the people in the crowd were surely hungering for love, for belonging, for acceptance, for healing. Maybe they were hungry for power. Whatever it was, the people were hungry And if we're being honest, we are too. Now, again, this probably sounds familiar because it's a lot like what I talked about a couple weeks ago when I talked about what are we thirsty for. But Jesus talked about the same concept using two different metaphors. So that's why we're talking about it again. What are we hungry for? So if you're tuning in online in the live stream, go ahead in the chat and write down what are some of the things that our souls are probably most hungry for. I mentioned a couple, belonging, acceptance, healing. Can we come up with any other ways that our souls might be really, really hungry? And just like I talked about a couple of weeks ago when I talked about how we satisfy our thirst in all sorts of different ways that aren't actually going to quench our thirst, we do the same thing with our spiritual hunger. We try to have our hungers, our hunger met to be satisfied in all sorts of ways. We're hungry for acceptance, so we try our best to become popular. We're hungry for love, 
So we try to have that hunger met through a romantic relationship. We're hungry for power or significance. And so we try to have that hunger met through climbing the ladder at work and trying to achieve some sort of status. But if we're really being honest, even if we achieve the things we're looking for, they don't actually satisfy the deep hunger of our soul. Jesus knew what the people were hungry for. And he saw that their hunger is evident because they are seeking after him. And not only that, even after he withdraws to a solitary place, they are still looking for them, looking for him. They are hungry for something. And so when they finally find Jesus and they ask him, Jesus, where have you been? Where on earth have you been? Jesus says this, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me. Not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus is pointing out that they are after him because of what they think Jesus is going to give them. Material goods, food, and that they want him to be their earthly king. A king that will fit their culture and their time. They've missed the power behind the miracle the thing that will truly satisfy them. Jesus goes on. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? People want to know how to get that bread that leads to eternal life. Now, by eternal life, they're talking about, or Jesus is talking about this flourishing full life that has significance for us now, but really means that we will live fully flourishing, fully satisfied forever in eternity with God. It's talking a little bit about heaven. So the people say, what must we do to do the work God requires? They fall into the human trap of wanting to know, how do I achieve this? What do I have to do? What must I do to earn this? How much is it going to cost? This is one of the most common pitfalls in the spiritual life, especially in our achievement-oriented culture. What must I do to earn God's love? What are the steps to take so that I belong? How do I get Him to accept me? What must I do to get into heaven? Jesus' answer is the most important verse. It's the crux of this entire chapter. He says this, the work of God is this. Notice, he's not saying the work that you're going to do is this, but the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Who has God sent? Jesus. He's talking about himself. We don't have to do anything to earn what Jesus is offering here, except believe. And guess what? Believing in Jesus is not something that we can actually achieve on our own. It is the work of God. It is something that God does in us to help us to believe. It sounds quite simple, just believe, but it is quite challenging, especially if to believe, we have to abandon beliefs that we might have had before we met Jesus. And especially if the beliefs that we have to abandon are values that are held in really high regard in our culture. Believing is really hard. 
And the people there in Jesus' time knew it. So they say this, even after they have seen the feeding of the 10,000 people, and they themselves are the one that received this miraculous multiplication of food, they say this to Jesus, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Essentially what they're saying, Jesus, the bread that you gave us, it originated on earth. It started out as an earthly thing. Yeah, you multiplied it, but that's not really that impressive. Moses gave us miraculous bread that came from heaven out of nowhere. If you want us to believe in you, we need a sign that's going to look like that. Prove that you are who you say you are. Now, before we judge the crowd too harshly, let's be honest. Have you ever asked God for proof? Have you ever asked for a sign that he really exists? For those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, haven't you ever doubted God? Even if he's done amazing things for you in the past, haven't we all gotten to the place where we question if he really exists and we need something more from him to sustain our faith? Or what about this scenario? Some of us have probably been there where God has done something in our lives and we're grateful for it, but then we hear somebody else's story and it's totally amazing and our story pales in comparison. So then we start to doubt that God loves us. And maybe we even start to doubt God altogether because what he has done for us suddenly doesn't seem good enough. It happens to all of us. When I was making the switch from being an elementary school teacher to a pastor, I really wanted to make sure that God was in it, that God was actually calling me to this. So I asked God to show me, and he did. Over a period of three years, God did these amazing things that only he could have orchestrated. The first was that God provided me with a job at a church as a pastor, and I didn't have to apply for it. I was approached for the position, and after praying for it, I sensed that God was in this, so I took the job. And then as I began to feel like, okay, maybe there might be something to this, and I should continue with my seminary education to sharpen my skills and be a better pastor. I knew that we were at the stage of life where we should be saving for our kids' education, not paying for more education for me. So I began to pray, God, if you want me to go to seminary and continue in my education, bring the money. And guess what? God did. Somebody came through and offered to pay for me to continue in my master's of theology. And so I did. And then my calling began to be affirmed. People in our church community and our denomination began to see the calling in me and encouraged me to keep pursuing it. And then something amazing happened. <laughs> One night, I was lying in bed and I was praying about something. And I know this sounds unrealistic, but I heard God's voice. I heard an audible voice and the voice commanded me to preach. It just said, preach. And so... All of this affirmation, from money showing up to pay for my schooling, to affirmation from my community and our denomination, to literally hearing God's voice in the night. I got to a point about three years ago where I sensed that he was leading me to something new, to a role where I really could preach, uh, and uh, nothing was materializing. See, it's a sad reality that... <laughs> Leadership positions in the church are harder to come by as a female. 
So I tried out a couple of things and nothing seemed to work. And I began to doubt God. Perhaps God called me to preach. Perhaps he's calling me into ministry. Maybe he's sending me to seminary. But this desire that I have to pastor a church and to be able to share the word of God might never happen. And so then I began to pray for another sign. And I began to feel like maybe I should apply and become an elementary school teacher again if this is never going to happen. My good husband, Jay, sat me down and thankfully he spoke some truth. He said something like this, Melissa, what more do you need? God has given you affirmation from our church, from our denomination. He's provided money for seminary and you are one of the few people who can actually say you have heard God's audible voice. What more do you need? It's like God is beating you over the head with a baseball bat, telling you, you are a pastor. If I were in God's shoes, I'd be feeling pretty frustrated with you and maybe even a little angry. He told me, be careful, Melissa. I don't know what more you need from God, but I think he's been pretty clear. <laughs> this was the wake-up call that I needed. And you know what? Even though I was doubting God, even though he had been so amazing and clear and persistent with me, and I was still doubting this calling in my life. God is so good and he is so gracious and he's so merciful because shortly after that conversation with Jay, Redwood came on my radar and here I am. I'm doing the thing that God has called me to do. He placed this hunger in me to use this gift that he has given me and this desire to read his word and to share it with all of you. And he didn't leave me hungering. He is satisfying me through my ministry here at Redwood. God is good, and he is good even when we doubt. When the people in our story today ask for a sign, Jesus gently corrects them. He says, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the bread from heaven. They have given Moses the credit for something that only God can do. And then he says, when he says, my father who gives you the true bread from heaven, he's bringing it into the present tense. He's not saying, my father gave you the bread from heaven. My father gives you the bread from heaven now. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Not just the Jewish people that Jesus was talking to, but bread for the whole world. Eternal life for the whole world world. The people respond by saying, give us this bread so we will never be hungry. And Jesus tells them exactly what the bread is. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. To have our deep hunger satisfied, all we need to do is come to Jesus and believe. And this brings us to our concluding question, the most important question we could ever ask and answer. Do I believe it? Do I believe that Jesus is the bread of life and can satisfy any hunger that I may have? Do I believe that I can keep coming to Jesus again and again and again, and he will keep satisfying me again and again and again? Do I believe that even if it, Jesus isn't giving me what I think I want, he will give me what I need 
and that is enough for belief. And do I believe that if I put my trust in him, if I believe in him now, there will come a day in the new heaven and the new earth where I will be fully satisfied and I will never hunger and thirst again? We have two options. Yes or no. In our story today, if we were to keep reading in the chapter of John, as Jesus begins to explain more about what he's talking about, he says this, I am the bread of heaven. You must eat of this flesh that will be broken for you. This is hard to take for the people because Jesus is either saying, you're going to have to eat my flesh like cannibalism, which is gross and intolerable, or he's saying, Figuratively, that we somehow have to take him into our lives to nourish us spiritually, which is what he is getting at. In either scenario, when Jesus says, my flesh will be broken for you, he dies. This is not the vision of the king that they had in mind. Jesus is saying, my body will be broken for you like bread. But somehow, in my death, you will receive the life, the eternal life, that is what you really need. We know the rest of the story. Jesus does end up dying. People could not accept Jesus when he told them who he really was. And he was so threatened or threatening that people began plotting to have him murdered. And eventually he goes to the cross and he is crucified. He is broken for us. Now, Jesus in John chapter 6, is only hinting at his impending suffering and his death. But it's enough to turn people away. They cannot fathom a king whose idea of ruling the people is based in sacrificial, self-giving love. They are looking for a military conquest, but it's not what Jesus is going to give them. If we skip to the end of chapter or the end of chapter 6, we read this, verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, "You do not want to leave too, do you?" This is a dangerous passage for me to preach. <laughs> it's not a real strategy for church growth. Jesus starts out giving the people food. He's providing for their physical needs, and he has a church following of 10,000 people. But we get to the end of the story. He's left with 12, and he turns to them and says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Knowing that out of those 12, one of them is going to betray him to the cross. And when he finally does go to the cross, all of them are going to abandon him. But again, in Jesus' great love and his mercy, he rises from the dead and he reinstates the very ones who abandoned him, his disciples. And his disciples would go on to begin a worldwide movement of Jesus' followers, of which we are a part 2,000 years later. To believe in Jesus means we have to stop making him into the king we want him to be. And we have to believe what he says about himself and take heart. If we abandon him, 
If we doubt, he is there waiting for us to come back. And guess what? The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. We cannot believe on our own steam. We need the bread of life. We need the presence of Jesus to give us what it is to believe. This is the beautiful thing about this message today. Jesus tells us to believe and then he gives us what we need to believe. He gives us his Holy Spirit to anybody who believes. It is the Spirit that will allow us to say what Peter says at the very end of chapter 68 or chapter 6. When Jesus says, do you want to leave now too? To his disciples, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Oh, Holy Spirit, let it be so. Let our community be a community that says, yes, Lord, we believe. Give us your bread that we will never go hungry again. And now I'm going to turn it over to our worship pastor, Sean, who is going to lead us in a responsive prayer and our final song of worship.